I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Kendra Tolbert, MS, RDN, CDN, LD, RYT, and Certified Aromatherapist Level 1. Kendra is an award-winning registered dietitian nutritionist, registered yoga teacher, and Certified Aromatherapist specializing in fertility and women's health. She helps people prepare for pregnancy and improve their overall well-being with nutrition and mind-body practices. Kendra believes that although our bodies, fertility, and hormones are complex, our self-care can be simple. So when I wanted to do an episode focused on stress management, rest, and restoration, and their importance to hormone health, Kendra was my first call. Kendra is one of my favorite people in the whole world, as my students and clients know well. She developed six exclusive yoga training videos for my course, the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap, and each video aligns perfectly with what we are focusing on in that module. My students have loved having Kendra and access to those videos right in their education portal. And now I'm excited to share Kendra and her work with you, my listeners. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. I am so excited today for our guest who is joining us. It is Kendra Tolbert, a dietitian and yoga teacher who specializes in PCOS and fertility. Welcome, Kendra. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited too. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your work. I know my audience and my course members know you very well, but for those of you who are new to the podcast and new to my world, they may not know you. Yeah, so as you said, I'm a dietitian and a yoga teacher. I'm also a certified aromatherapist, and I pretty much just am obsessed with women's health. And for the most part, that looks like me focusing on preconception nutrition and PCOS. So I work with people one-on-one, I blog, I consult, and I create yoga videos where I share yoga specifically for different phases of the menstrual cycle for PCOS and fertility. 
Yeah, I love when I'm just kind of scrolling my, you know, usual women's health accounts that I follow on Instagram and things like that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, yoga video with Kendra. It's like, hi, friend. (laughs) (laughs) But you do a lot of yoga videos on YouTube as well as on your website, correct? I do. Yeah. So most of my videos are on YouTube. So that's where you'll find pretty much everything. I don't spend quite as much time on Instagram as I used to. YouTube is kind of my world right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you have great success over there. I definitely refer your videos to clients all the time. Tell me a little bit about your journey getting from, you know, to where you are now. Like, What came first, the chicken or the egg? Did you start digging (laughs) into the nutrition first or the yoga? And then I believe that was the right order. And then you added on the aromatherapy after that. And then how did you end up working in PCOS and fertility from those perspectives? So I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. The nutrition started first professionally, but the yoga started first personally. So I actually was introduced to yoga by my English teacher. And I think she my junior English teacher or my senior English teacher. She had us right after lunch. So we were like super hyped up. And so she would have us move all the tables to the side and have us lay down in Shavasana. And it was just, I think her chance to like get us to calm down so that we would actually read and pay attention. So that was my first introduction to yoga. I'm really happy that was my introduction to yoga because it left me feeling like you could do yoga anywhere. You didn't have to have a certain body type or mat or, you know, like the pretty yoga clothes to do yoga. You just needed to have a body and like a set of lungs and you could (laughs) practice yoga. So I love that that was my introduction to it. But in the nutrition world, I actually thought I was going to be a midwife. And then I was like, ooh, I don't want to actually see blood. So maybe (laughs) not. (laughs) So I decided to become a dietitian. And the very first dietitian that I shadowed was a WIC dietitian. So WIC is a federally funded food assistance program that provides nutrition education, referrals, screenings, and benefits to purchase foods to women, infants, and children. And so I decided I would become a WIC nutritionist after shadowing her. And that's what I did right out of grad school. And so one day a woman came onto the program and she was placing her son onto the program. And she shared with me that she had adopted him and that she had had trouble conceiving. And I was maybe in my mid twenties at that point. And I honestly had never considered having trouble conceiving because the message I think a lot of us receive is that you constantly have to be on guard against pregnancy. Not that it's something you may have to work to make happen. And so I was like, Ooh, let me see if nutrition can play a role in fertility. And so I went on PubMed and I found more articles than I expected to. And I started just reading everything I could find about it. I started attending webinars and courses and pretty much anything I could get my hands on about nutrition and fertility. I just devoured. And then I started to share it on my blog. And then I started to tell the providers I was working with that I wanted to focus on preconception they started to send people to me. And a lot of those people had PCOS Mm -hmm. and a lot of them had issues with insulin resistance and high cholesterol. And 
I didn't see any of their providers focusing on that. They pretty much were just focused on their ovaries. They were like, take the birth control pill, lose weight if you're in a larger body, don't gain weight if you're in a smaller body and come back to me when you're trying to get pregnant. And I was like, but what about the rest of this person? And so that's when I was like, okay, I need to understand how nutrition can help to reduce their risks of conditions later on in life and address what they're experiencing right now. So that's what I did. And of course, in working with people with PCOS and fertility, you bump into a lot of like body distrust, body disconnection. And that's because I think for this particular population, they've pretty much been told that their body is the enemy. Their body is what has betrayed them. So I knew that yoga could help with that. And so I decided to get my 200 hour teacher training. And then I did two fertility teacher trainings and then another women's health fertility teacher training and some continuing ed. And that's how yoga became a part of what I do. The aromatherapy actually was more so me just being really into aromatherapy. My grandmother had just passed away and I was like, I need something to occupy my mind. So I took a certification course in New York because in New York, you can find a course or a class on anything. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And then I started to incorporate essential oils into my work that way. That's so amazing. I mean, it's, it's just, it's such a nice progression from, you know, realizing what you were interested in to how you could best serve the people that you were working with. I love that you started in WIC. I, I did a rotation in WIC for mm. my community nutrition when I was doing my dietetic internship. And it's such a great program. You know, I wish there were more programs like it because it really focuses on getting in those, those nutrient dense foods to help pregnant women and infants and children thrive. It's funny yes. too. Uh, I don't know if you, you know this, I went to Catholic school for high school, so they definitely drill it into your head that, that, you know, just one time having sex equals you getting pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I also, you know, it's, it's funny. I definitely using an integrative approach to PCOS and fertility, it's important to focus on the whole person. And so I tend to see yoga more for the stress management benefits, you know, the active mm -hmm. stress management that most women <laughs> need for sure. And aromatherapy, I've always kind of seen as an alternative to the more toxic chemicals that we can use in our households. But I know there are benefits beyond just what you're avoiding with that as well. Do you have some favorite? I think you, you have an aromatherapy guide for PCOS. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's a part of the yoga guide. And I do have a few, I think I have one video on PCOS and essential oils. And then I have a blog post um, about essential oils in the preconception stage of life. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I definitely referred people to that for the pregnancy safe essential oils as well. So it's a really great resource. If those of you haven't seen it, definitely check that out. So let's move on, you know, talking a little bit about nutrition and, you know, we both come from pretty, pretty different backgrounds, but I think we've kind of arrived at similar conclusions when it comes to nutrition. Mm -hmm. 
you know, can you talk about the reasons why you don't advocate for like those restrictive one size fits all diets when it comes to PCOS and fertility? I know you kind of mentioned the fact that there's already a certain level of body dissatisfaction that can come with the diagnosis. So, so many reasons. (laughs) There are so many reasons. Let's see. We'll try to stick with three. So the first one is that it's unnecessary. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend my time encouraging people (laughs) to do something that's unnecessary. The other is that it's not effective. And so I'm also not going to spend my time telling people to do something that's not effective. And then the other part that I think is really important and not talked about nearly enough is that people with PCOS are already at an increased risk of developing an eating disorder. And a lot of people who seek out treatment for infertility have a disordered eating pattern in their background, or they have actually received an eating disorder diagnosis, and they're not being screened for it. And so sometimes they're getting these fertility treatments done, but no one's asking, hey, can you tell me about your dieting history? I know that I've had clients where that was the first thing that stood out to me when they told me they had received like a infertility diagnosis was like, but you've spent your entire life under eating over exercising that could be playing a role. So those are the three reasons, unnecessary, ineffective, and it puts people at risk for something they're already at an increased risk for. Yeah, I see that as well, you know, especially with probably the largest category of women who find me, find me in their, you know, early thirties, maybe they had some irregular cycles or some symptoms as teens. They went on the pill and they come off the pill because they've recently gotten married and, you know, all of the symptoms start raging back and, you know, they're not getting cycles. And that's when they're receiving that official PCOS diagnosis. But when you do talk to them about, you know, their, their dieting history, a lot of them have really been through the ringer going all Mm -hmm. the way back to, you know, mom bringing them to Weight Watchers as teens. And so for many of them, there's really been no, no point in their life where, when they're not on a diet or gearing up to get back on a diet, you know, after the holidays or after the summer, I'm going to start this diet. And so it's just this constant string of one diet after another. And, you know, I, there's nothing to agree or disagree about. There's there's no evidence that eliminating any foods is necessary or beneficial for PCOS or fertility. And so why do it? Why put yourself through it? <laughs> oh, I constantly wonder that. And I really do think it's because we place so much emphasis on hard work and we celebrate the people who do the thing that's difficult in our society. Mm-hmm. So I think being on a diet that's really restrictive is one more thing that people, especially like the type A or the perfectionist types get to be celebrated for. Cause look at how disciplined they are. Look at how hard they're working to not give in to a temptation. Right. So I think that's a part of it, just that we celebrate the people who do the things that are difficult. And it's like, but this is one thing you just, you don't have to struggle with. You really can eat well, and you can eat a variety of foods. Uh, we could go deep on, on the whole idea of discipline being praised and the idea of, of the the good girl mm-hmm. complex. But I think one of the things, and you know, I have to be mostly not all. See, here's the thing: it's like you say, go <laughs> go dairy free, but it's like 
you don't have to eliminate the whole category, even if there's a part of it that doesn't work with your body. So, you know, I get a lot of folks who are lactose intolerant, for example, but it's like, you can still eat the cheeses that are virtually lactose free. I am allergic to casein, which is the the gooey, yummy substance that makes cheese cheese. And it's sad and it's hard. And, um, and you know, I, I, I seem to do okay with butter, but like a cheese free life is just, it's really sad. And I think, you know, with some of the practitioners who are recommending this, like gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free diet, they're not really taking into account people's life circumstances either. And, you know, dairy-free foods are expensive. Gluten-free foods are expensive and they're not available, depending on where you live, you might not have access to some of these products that are used as substitutes. And so I think, you know, that's another thing that, that is kind of being promoted out there, but people aren't taking into account the fact that, you know, sure, it's relatively easy to go gluten-free if you live in New York city or Los Angeles, but if you live, you know, in the middle of the country somewhere, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've had the opportunity to share your work with my audience and in other spaces. Full disclosure, Kendra developed six yoga videos that are part of my course, the PCOS Root Cause Roadmap, because I felt like that was a part of the instruction that was missing and me not being certified in any of those things. I was like, I know the perfect person to develop some yoga videos to, you know, really complement the teachings in the course. So that's been a wonderful partnership. I'm so happy that you've been involved with that. But I really think, um, you know, I'm constantly getting like, oh, we love Kendra. When can we get Kendra back? No matter what I'm doing, it's like, oh, definitely interview Kendra. So I think there's something about the work that you do that just really resonates with people. You know, it's, it feels really necessary, you know, the need to focus on active stress management techniques, rest, and get into that kind of more chill mindset overall. Why do you think that the work that you're doing resonates with so many people? Big question. That is a big question. And thank you. I think it's just because people are tired and people are stressed out and depleted. And when you're thirsty, water sounds really nice. So when you're stressed out and tired, someone inviting you to rest sounds really, really nice. So I think that's why. Yeah, I love that. You know, and that sort of ties into you know, what everybody's kind of gone through over the last year and a half. Can you talk about, you know, I I love, and I, I refer to that article all the time that came out last year about the concept of surge capacity, where we can surge in a crisis and we can, you know, step up and make sure things get done, but we only have a finite amount of energy to surge. And, you know, we've all been in that place where it's like, oh, work is really busy right now. As soon as I get past this busy period, you know, I'm looking at my accountants, for example, who are like, I just got to get through tax season and then everything's going to be fine. Or my teachers who, you know, they got to get the grades in and everything's set. And there's kind of an, an end point or a deadline, but the fact that we we don't really have an end point to everything that's going on, it can seem kind of endless. So, you know, 
Why are rest and stress management more important now than ever? Well, I know. All of that, no, all of uh, what I just said. <laughs> yeah, I, there are so, so many reasons. I think a lot of people have felt like, are we near the apocalypse? Like, is this the end? So the stress of not knowing if it's the end, but feeling like we don't know when the end is coming, that has been stressful, right? So there's been the pandemic, there's been civil rights issues coming to the forefront for people that maybe never even considered that, you know, the impact of that, Um, people having to come to terms with their own trauma, people feeling the financial stress and strain of, you know, possibly losing their job, or even if someone wasn't personally affected by COVID, you know, like they had their own experience with it, it was still like looming over us. So it was like, is this the week it gets me? Is this the week it gets my family? Right. So it was like, it was just this constant stressor or is still just wondering when the other shoe is going to fall, you know, that whole idea or she was going to drop. It's, it was always something was happening. So I think that just depleted people. And so many of us went into all of this already stressed out, already tired. And then we were asked to pull from, I don't know where to have more to keep going. And we had to just keep going and we had to keep going as if like, we weren't all scared and confused and misinformed and underinformed and sometimes overinformed, but with the wrong information. <laughs> That's stressful to not know what's going on, that constant just uncertainty. That's stressful. So not only did we need to deal with the fact that most of us were already stressed out and depleted, then we had another stressor and another stressor and another stressor piled on top of it. So we needed ways to, and we still need ways to counter that. And not for the reason that I so often hear, especially geared towards women, like you have to, you know, take care of yourself so you can take care of others. No, you have to take care of yourself because like you have a right to take care of yourself because yeah, absolutely. The end. end That's it. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, that waiting for the other shoe to drop thing too, it's not just about, you know, is the virus going to itself going to hit my family or anyone I love this week? It's, is it going to affect my life in any way, Mm -hmm. especially for people who, you know, they maybe have small children. You know, I, I know so many dietitians who work from home and it's like, okay, kids are going back to school. And then less than a week later, they're back home. And you know, mm-hmm. my husband works in education and I work from home. So I keep thinking today is going to be the day when he comes home and says, we're going virtual again. It's just really hard when there's so much uncertainty. It's hard to plan for the long term. And, you know, I personally have found that motivation and energy, they kind of come and go in waves and, and they have been mm-hmm. for the last year and a half. It's like, you know, I might get a surge for a week or so where I feel like doing things and feel like working on things. But then I definitely have those days where it's just like, I just need to get under a blanket with some tea and some Netflix and just hide from everybody, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about the idea of fertility. You know, I get so many, so many questions from women who are like, well, I'm not trying to get pregnant. So why should I manage my PCOS or why should I 
care if I'm not ovulating or getting a regular period. You know, can you talk a little bit about you know this concept of fertility and why it's important beyond just our ability to conceive or not if we choose not to? Right. Yeah. That's something that people ask quite a bit. It's almost as if we think of fertility as separate from the rest of our overall well-being and the rest of our health. And it's not because all of our organ systems are communicating and impacting one another. So what impacts one is going to impact the other. Even if we talk about them as being separate, they're interconnected. They depend on each other and they influence each other. So often when I hear that someone's not super concerned about their menstrual cycle, I'm like, okay, well, you might care about your heart. (laughs) You might care about your brain and whatever you do to positively impact your fertility or your menstrual cycle is going to have an impact on these other organ systems. And that just makes sense because it would not make any sense for an organism to have one set of foods that is really, really important for their brain, but that same set of foods would then hurt their heart. Like it just wouldn't make sense. So whatever you do to care for one system tends to positively impact the other system. And then just the word fertility. I honestly don't just think of conception anymore. When I hear it, I immediately start thinking of synonyms and I immediately start thinking of other things that I've just started to connect to the idea of fertility. I think of vitality. I think of creativity. I think of sensuality. And those are all things that I want in my life, whether or not I choose to have a child. I love that. You know, as someone who who is childless, and it's, you know, sort of a raging feminist and always has been just, you know, the thought that women matter beyond our ability to conceive or not, you know, and the, the fact that we should have the choice no matter what way we, we decide. Um, I love how uh, Lisa Hendricks and Jax refers to it as you know, a vital sign, like your cycle is really Mm. the fifth vital sign in your body. It's just as important as breathing rate or temperature or, or heart rate. And I really do see cycles that way as well. You know, if something is off with your menstrual cycle, then it's kind of the canary in the coal mine that something's Mm. off further upstream in your body somewhere. And, you know, sort of like you said, a food that's good for your heart or your brain is going to be good for your fertility too. You know, if, if you are not experiencing regular cycles, there's, there's probably a chance that some other system in there isn't working its best at the moment either. Yeah. So, you know, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but One thing that a lot of women uh, struggle with is this idea that we have to do it all and, you know, be this perfect Instagram fitfluencer, Pinterest mom, blah, 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 while also being the CEO girl boss. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, I consider it a myth of perfection um, and how those sorts of images we see do more harm than good? That sounds so tiring (laughs) to be all of those things all of the time. I simply don't have the energy for it. And when I think about what we see on social media, that, that woman, I don't know how she exists. (laughs) I I honestly, I, (laughs) I'm like at a loss for words, just the thought of living that sort of life or trying to live that sort of life. It's impossible. 
And whoever is giving you the image that that's the life that they're living, I can promise you that that's not the life they're living because they have limited time. They have limited attention spans. Like we cannot do everything and we don't need to do everything. I'm always telling my clients that they are missing out on good seeking perfection because I see it all the time, especially it seems to be with vegetables specifically (laughs) that people have this idea that like they have to be raw or they have to be steamed and they have to not have any herbs or spices and no butter or oils. I don't know why, but that's what they seem to think. And so they put off eating vegetables. They simply choose not to eat them quite often because they don't want to eat them in this perfect way. They want to eat them fried or they want to eat them in a stew or in a curry or in a soup, or they want to roast them and they want to add herbs and spices. They want to add butter and they want to add, you know, an extra drizzle of olive oil, or they want to eat a salad with salad dressing and not just like a squeeze of lemon. Like they want their food to be tasty, but they think tasty doesn't match up with the idea of perfect and perfect for them is something that is difficult and unpalatable. And I don't know where the message came from that it had to be difficult, that it had to be an extreme in order to be good enough. Yeah, I see that a lot too. And, you know, we were kind of joking um, before we started recording about the fact that I'm I'm a New Englander through and through. So I, I tend to not do a lot of like spices and sauces on my food, but, you know, in certain parts of the country, for example, ranch dressing is like king, you know, they put ranch on everything, on pizza, on everything. And so I've definitely had this conversation with clients where it's like, it's okay to eat ranch dressing. Like if, if that's, what's going to get you to eat the carrots as part of your snack, then go ahead, dip them in the ranch dressing. If you need to put butter on your broccoli to eat it, then like, by all means eat the butter, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Eat the butter. (laughs) Butter, eat the ranch dressing, you know, make it, it's good. Food's got to taste good, right? It does. Otherwise, what's the what is the point? I know when I see those, those women on social media too, it's like, you just kind of want to say like, like, honey, come here, like lie down in Shavasana for a little while. It's going to be okay. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> I think you mentioned something else, you know, interesting about that is, you know, we all know social media is not real. You know, it's, it's the image that, that we want to portray. And when you're projecting this image of perfection, it's exhausting. You know, like I'm definitely, um, you know, authenticity is one of my core values, but even so, you know, so I really am real me on social media, but I do, you know, have to say that as a business owner, you know, the, the types of things that I share on social media are things that align with my business and what I choose to share publicly. So there's definitely, you know, aspects of my life that are not there for everybody to see, even though I'm authentic when I am on the platform. And I think there's also this like, backlash on social media, again, mostly against women who choose to speak up and take, you know, maybe what are more controversial views or they speak up on, you know, important subjects that 
that need talking about. And I just find, you know, if I spend too much time on social media, I can, I can raise my own cortisol, which, you know, is great <laughs> as, as the hormone dietitian and I, you know, balanced hormones are, are important. So I guess my question is like, social media, is it good? Is it evil? How do you incorporate, you know, bits of social media into your business without letting it make you feel bad about yourself or just, you know, sometimes you can feel like you're just contributing to the noise that's Mm -hmm. already out there. Yeah. That's definitely something that I have bumped up against quite a bit. I've often wondered if when I share something, especially on like on Instagram, and I think it's because it, Instagram is very bite-sized. It's, you know, (laughs) the text is so short. It's usually just an image. It might be a reel, but that's like 30 seconds. I don't even know how long those things are. How long are they? It can be up to a minute now. Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good to know. So there's not a lot of time to really dive deeply into a topic, to talk about nuance, to talk about, you know, how someone may need to be curious and compassionate when applying the information that they see. And Instagram often, I think it also, sometimes people just see an image and they don't even read the caption. And so they're reacting to the image and not to the caption. And it was like, but the caption is where the nuance was. The caption was where the details were. And so people miss out on all of that. And so I do wonder sometimes if when I share something on Instagram, if it's you know just like something shorter, not a full length video or something, am I just adding to the noise? Are people just adding this to their long list of things that they have to do rather than it replacing the misinformation? And I'm like, oh no, now they think they can eat gluten, but they can't eat gluten. And they're trying to figure out how to do that at the same time, as opposed to allowing it to replace the misinformation. The other thing is, I don't think, I don't think social media is inherently good or bad. I think it's what we make it. And I think it can definitely be used for evil, but it can also be used for good. And I think it really is about curating the world that you've created on whatever social media platforms you enjoy. So for me, it looked like unfollowing people who, even if I agreed with them, just the way they shared the information left me ready to like brawl, right? So (laughs) sometimes there's for me, there's just a bit too much of the just kind of like stirring the mud just for the sake of stirring the mud. Mm. And so then now I'm walking around all day, like agitated because I've read three things that I'm angry about (laughs) and that's how I start my day. And that's not the way I want to start my day. So I started to mostly follow, I mean, I still follow dietitians that I adore, but I'm following less dietitians because I also don't want my world to be just my career. So I follow hairstylists who sometimes dye people's hair like turquoise and purple because that's delightful and that's fun. I follow what's the little puff? Oh, cracks me up. The oh, little yeah, the cat. cat. <laughs> yeah. And I know, yeah. I know I got you hooked on tiny cute. Yeah. Yes. I think you may have introduced me to little puff too. I think so, but I, you thank know, you. especially during the pandemic, it was just, it's just like, you got to take your joy where you can. So like mm-hmm. plant queen, I like, I just, I, I adore that feed. It just makes, it just, it's pure joy, you know, oh. and all of the cooking, little mini cooking and miniature things, and <laughs> so many cat videos. 
Yeah, I think, you know, you really hit the nail on the head when you said there's not enough room for nuance on social media and in a caption or in a tiny square image. And a lot of people don't read the captions, which I can tell you for sure from my comments, my comment (laughs) section, you know, unfollowing people for sure had to you know, I can't even tell you how many people I unfollowed last year, uh, various points throughout the year, whether it was uh, last June or last November or this January, I've definitely unfollowed even professional people who I had, you know, respected their opinions previously, but I no longer enjoyed what they had to say or didn't say. And so, you know, being sure that you're following people who, not to have an echo chamber of people who think like you do, but, you know, at least people who aren't using social media platforms to actively do harm. I think that's, that's important. I do think that Instagram in particular has been a great place to make connections with people. Uh, You and I Mm -hmm. met through Instagram, technically through a mutual friend, definitely have lots of, of colleagues and you know, other, other folks I've connected with throughout the years on the platform. So I I do think it's, it's good. I know you're a a big fan too. You introduced me to the nap ministry last year um, and I love their philosophy and I know you are all about it. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, their mission and what they try to do and what they use the platform for? Yeah. So Trisha Hersey is the Nat Bishop and she is just this amazing woman. I think her background is in divinity and public health. So it's this very interesting mixture. And I think she also has like a creative arts background. So she has done installations where Mm -hmm. she's had people simply just like lay down in a bed and to see black bodies just resting, not at work, not trying to prove themselves it's lovely to see. And so I'm a huge, huge fan. I don't think I could ever do it justice to talk about it because she's done the research. She's not just saying rest is resistance because it's the popular thing to say. She's saying it because she's lived it, because she's researched it, and because she really has helped people to adopt it as a form of resistance. And so I have just really loved one her emphasis on embodiment, right? She's not (laughs) just saying things on social media for likes or because it's the new trendy thing to do. She really is like, go live this. There have been moments where she'll just write rest and she's like, now go rest. That's (laughs) her entire caption. That's the image. Like that's it where she just really wants people to do it, not talk about it, not philosophize around it. Like so often I feel like that's what we do with the information that we get is we want to talk about it. We want to intellectualize it, but we don't get around to putting it into action. And it's like, we think that just having the knowledge is the same thing as putting it to use and experiencing the benefits of it. And she really pushes against that, which I so appreciate. And she also seems to have a very clear understanding of what Instagram is for her, what Twitter is for her, that they are tools to spread a message that she will spread, even if those apps don't exist any longer, and a message that she really is living and wants other people to live. I know that I can definitely get wrapped up in the likes and the comments and the shares and forget that I'm not an Instagrammer. Like I'm a dietitian and a yoga teacher who uses Instagram to share what I have to share. And she reminds me of that. 
Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, definitely, you know, a revolutionary view um, that is much needed. But I, I so agree. She just lives her beliefs. In fact, I think the last post of hers I saw was like, See ya, going on sabbatical for a month. Like, <laughs> like yeah. be back in a month. I think she also really communicates well about boundaries and boundaries on mm-hmm. social media and, you know, just the entitlement that some people can have when coming into prominent figures, DMs, and just kind of expecting responses or demanding work. I mean, she's just like, yeah. nope. And she also, you know, speaks out about the cultural appropriation that happens, you know, where, you know, she's really known for promoting this, this rest as resistance. It's a ministry. It it is what it's her preachings Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how that's been kind of co-opted by white wellness spaces as well. Yeah. She's the real deal. Like definitely check it out. If you haven't, Kendra turned me on to it last year and I've just been, yeah, I've really enjoyed following that profile and learning more about that. So I love how on your own website, you talk about some of your core philosophies in your work. And one of the key ones that, you know, I think might be surprising when someone is coming to the website of a dietitian is fun. <laughs> so why is fun important? I just think we need delight and we need pleasure. I don't want to live a life where it's all about obligation. And obligation is a terrible motivator in the long term. I've found I've found that people will stick to something a lot more if they enjoy it. If it is fun, if it is light <laughs> to to explore something, right? So it's a lot more fun to eat a food that you enjoy than it is to eat a food simply because you think that you have to because of the nutrients. You're more likely to stick with a type of movement practice if you enjoy that movement practice. But if it's, you know, I don't love lifting weights, not at all. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to be something that I am going to do consistently. It's something I'm going to use every excuse in the book not to do. But if you just say, Hey, Kendra, let's go for a walk. Like I've already got my shoes on and I'm at the door and I'm wondering why it's taking you so long to catch up. (laughs) Cause that's what I want to do. So I think following desire can be a really powerful way of making behavior change. So that's why I think fun is so important. Yeah, I totally agree. I always tell people like bonus points, if you can find a form of exercise that has a fun component. I personally have been thinking about, you know, when when things are a little safer, uh, going and taking some circus aerial classes across the border. I know. I'm just like, that would be so fun. That's something I would want to do, or I wish, um, and there's nothing like that around here, but I, I wish there were Broadway dance classes around here because I oh. would totally get into that, you know, Na- nature. Yeah. Too. I think if you can incorporate nature and go for, you know, trail walks or hikes or walk on the beach, like any sort of nature also activates that sort of, you know, happiness center in her mm-hmm. brain. Sure. 
One other component of your philosophy is love. Um, you know, for, for lack of a better word, I love that. <laughs> and love is not just romantic love. You know, you don't talk about it in mm-hmm. that way. Um, it's more about community and, you know, connection. How do you encourage people to, you know, find their community and find that connection, especially when they're coming from maybe a not so supportive family environment, which I think can be pretty common? Hmm. Well, one of my favorite ways to find community is to take classes, exploring the things that I love. So that essential oils class, taking yoga classes, dance classes. I miss New York so much because they had every type of dance you can imagine. Like I took some real obscure stuff and I loved it. And I met people that I would not have met otherwise because they worked in totally different parts of the city. They lived in totally different parts of the city. But we had something in common and they became really great friends of mine. It was because I simply did what I loved and I ended up around people who loved the same thing. And over time, we realized that we loved each other. So that is my favorite way is to like explore what you love and you will find other people who love that same thing and who will likely become a part of your support system. Just, you know, the human experience is universal. Even if you're meeting them in like a pottery class, you're probably going to have other things in common. They're likely to know someone who has had a similar experience. They may have had a similar experience. So I'm always a big fan of just doing the things that you love with people that love that thing too. I think that's the best way. A little more difficult right now, but I'm hoping that that will change very soon. Yeah. Learning itself too is such a good way to get out of your own head. When you find yourself in the process of active learning where you're, you're just so focused and you, maybe you lose track of time. You're so intent on what you're learning. That can be a really good stress management tool as well. Mm -hmm. I've found definitely one of the things since we we bought a house this spring, one of the things that I've been sort of keeping an eye out for is a used piano on Facebook Marketplace, kind of looking, looking to see the right upright piano so I can, you know, noodle around on the keyboard a little bit and get lost a little bit. But any kind of learning, cooking or or anything, thinking I was thinking back totally brought me back to New York to like. Afro-Cuban and flamenco classes that I've taken before. Like, it's so fun. Oh, yeah. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are, in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. 
head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. And then, you know, when you're talking about love, you really can't ignore the concept of of self-love. And you have definitely seen this. If you don't have self-love, then any sort of nutrition or lifestyle changes or any sort of improvements in anything that you try to implement in your life are not going to stick if you, you know, don't have that self-love. What are some good ways to start maybe working on that? You know, especially with PCOS, a lot of times folks are coming from, you know, the place that where, you know, it affects their body image. I think, you know, one of the most unfair things about PCOS is how many of the symptoms are cosmetic and therefore visible to the outside world, unlike some other chronic conditions, you know, and struggling with fertility where maybe, you know, you're feeling broken or or like your body isn't cooperating or doing what you want it to do. Like, how do you, how do you find a little thread of self-love, you know, when you're struggling with all of that stuff? I think a good place to start is focusing on appreciation or gratitude. So just taking notice of what your body is doing day in and day out. And often those are things that we don't even think about. Like I, I don't have to tell my bladder to fill itself. That's pretty amazing. Like I don't have to tell my lungs, you know, breathe in and out. If I did, (laughs) there'd be a problem because I would forget to. And my body is just always doing all of these little things that I never, ever have to remind it to do. And it just does it. That's my favorite way to kind of be in awe of what my body can do. And I think switching our focus from like what my body isn't doing or what my body looks like is to focus on what my body is doing. I once sat on the floor and it was a little silly, but I just kept wiggling my index finger. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm making it do that. That's amazing, right? I don't have to say, hey, brain, can you send a signal down to my finger? If I had to, it would never happen. Our bodies just do it. So that's where I would start. It's like celebrate what your body does all the time. Gratitude. I will say, despite what what some influencers may have you think, uh, pH balance, if you ever want to be in awe at what your body does, look up acid-based balance and figure out, you know, learn how your body keeps your pH in the right zone. It's mind-blowing and uh, probably one of the most difficult parts of medical nutrition therapy and pathophysiology <laughs> to, uh, to comprehend because it's really complicated. But yeah, if your body can do that, like, wow. You know, I think that idea of gratitude for what your body can do and just acceptance, moving more towards acceptance and not towards this unrealistic idea of loving every, you know, little physical thing about your body every single minute. I think that's also very unrealistic. Yeah. And honestly, that doesn't sound like real love to me. I have friends who I adore. I will do anything for these friends and I don't love everything that they do. And I don't love everything about them. (laughs) And I rarely sit down and just stare at their face. And I'm like, oh, I love the way her nose is shaped and the way her, like, I don't do that. I love who they are 
overall. And there are days where they get on my nerves. There are days where I wish they would just go sit down, but I still love them. I'm still committed to them. And they're still very much committed to me, even though they have moments where I'm sure they are tired of me. And that's love to me. It's, it's more about commitment and acceptance than it is just constantly being like enamored and just, cause that actually would go a whole different way, right? Like if you were so in love with your body that you were just constantly walking around like, oh, it's the best body ever. That could also get a little weird, you know? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. A little bit of narcissistic tendency. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So unlike a lot of messages that get promoted around PCOS and fertility, uh, there actually is some decent research around a regular yoga practice and its benefits in this areas. I was actually just, just perusing PubMed this morning and I came across <laughs> a systemic review and meta-analysis of the benefits of yoga and PCOS. You know, what are some of the benefits that you've seen that are kind of backed up? by research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are quite a few benefits. So there have been reports of improvements in insulin resistance, androgen levels, menstrual cycle regularity. And the one that I tend to really focus in on is the improvement in mood. So anxiety and depression, those seem to improve with a regular yoga practice. And I think that's so important and not talked about nearly enough. So often we're focused on the physical aspects of having the diagnosis, but it impacts people's mental health for a number of reasons. And so anything that I can do to help people feel better about themselves is something that I want to do. So it's good to know that there's definitely research that supports that yoga can do all of that. I love that. We've gotten a little bit of home exercise equipment over the last year because, you know, options have been slim and we have a long winter here in New England. (laughs) And I won't say I I love getting on the bike or love using the elliptical or that it's, you know, exactly what I would call fun. But I do, you know, I, I use the distractions. There's some, you know, videos. I tend to do the travel ones. So it's like, oh, I'm hiking through Nepal. This is something that's interesting. But what does get me on the machines and gets me doing it regularly is 100% the mood boost. Like I know if I get on the machines and do my 20 minutes or 30 minutes that my afternoon is just going to be so much better because I'm going to be more energized and, and in a better mood. So I think, you know, the mood boosting exercise benefits are really one of the top benefits when it comes to my idea of exercise, at least. And I do think people minimize that or ignore that, especially if you're doing something that you don't necessarily like or enjoy. So along those lines, I think one of the things that I see happening in the Western world and the view on yoga is thinking of it as a form of exercise. If you're not sweating and dying, you know, and your heart rate's not up, then you're not really doing anything and why even bother? I've definitely heard that perspective. And I mean, you know, there are absolutely some physical benefits that can come from a yoga practice, but that's not even like what yoga is really about, right? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely... I assume not what the first people to do yoga, what they were thinking about. I'm sure that was not their focus. It really is more so about 
a mindset. It really was more so about connecting all of you um, mm-hmm. so that there was this sense of unity, union. So bringing in all those different parts of you that you know can be distracted or can be overly consumed with what's happening outside of you, bringing that all back into center. And then through that union, being able to connect well with other people. So yeah, was not all physical from the very beginning. I, you know, asana, the physical poses, those are important though. They play a role in preparing your body for meditation and preparing your body for that sense of unity or calming your mind so that you really can be aware of what matters most. I don't know that that's what yoga is in the West. And I don't know that it has to be for every person. I think Yoga is allowed to be, at least in my opinion, whatever it is for that person in that moment. And it might shift. It might change. I think right now there's a lot of judgment placed on people who are practicing just for the physical benefits, but we don't know where that practice may lead them down the road. I know when I first started, it was an English teacher trying to get us to calm down, right? And then it was something that I did in college because it was an opportunity for me to move my body. With a group of people, I had been a cheerleader. I had taken dance classes. So I just loved being in groups and moving kind of all together in a synchronized way. So that is what it was for me. It wasn't until I think after grad school that it really became something other than just the physical for me or just a way to calm my mind. That was when I started to explore some of the philosophical, you know, underpinnings of yoga. And so there are parts of yoga that are about principles of living, how you treat yourself, how you treat other people, how you see the world. And for me, it's always, it's always come back to curiosity and compassion. That's really what I take away from yoga. And it's how I try to approach nutrition with my clients as well as, you know, we get to be curious about the information that we're learning. We get to be curious about the signs and symptoms and signals that our body is sending us. And we get to be compassionate in how we address those. And for me, that came from yoga. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're saying is basically, you know, the physical activity part of yoga might actually be a gateway to, you know, it's deeper meaning and deeper benefits for people. Good to remember not to, not to judge those. I don't know if you ever, you must have experienced some New York city yoga classes where, you know, you wouldn't dare wobble or you would get so many dirty looks and sighs for distracting people from their workout. It was, it was <laughs> definitely competitive. You know, not, not the schools I ended up going to most often, but some of those posh higher end ones where I always, always felt like such a slob in those classes. <laughs> What are some of your favorite ways at the moment to incorporate fun, rest, and restoration in your life? So most recently, I've started reading fiction again. I was reading nonfiction all the time. It was constantly like reference books and self-help books. And I was like, 
I miss mystery and myths. So that's what I decided to do. So I've been reading mostly children's books, like that middle school age range of books. That's my favorite because it's like they haven't erased the magic from their lives quite yet, but they're a little bit snarky and I like it. (laughs) So I've been reading the Aru Shah series, which has been amazing because it was written by an Indian woman and the main characters are Indian and they're they're from everywhere really, right? So it's also showing like the Indian diaspora, the Desi diaspora, just everywhere, how they are spread throughout the world. Uh, so there's one particular character or two characters, and I believe they're West Indian. And so that reminder that, oh, that's a part of that connection to India as well. But anyhow, so it takes a look at Indian mythology, but through the eyes of these girls who have been reincarnated and in their previous life, they were these men who were warriors. And now these girls are the warriors. And it's so cool to see and so cool to read. And again, it's super snarky and I'm a huge fan of that. I've also been just like enjoying a very simple morning routine. Hmm. So I'll wake up, I'll go and I'll turn on my little kettle to get my water warmed for my tea. And then I will steep my tea and I'll set my timer for 10 minutes. And then during the 10 minutes while it's steeping, I'll do some very simple yoga poses, grab my tea when it's ready and go sit down and journal while I sip my tea. And that has been so lovely and a much better way for me to start my day than Instagram or YouTube comments. And so I've been keeping it really simple with things like that and going for walks. It's starting to like the leaves are starting to change. And I now live in St. Louis. I was in Austin, so I didn't get a chance to see these leaves changing for the last two years. And now I get to see it. And there are mushrooms everywhere. And I'm loving seeing the mushrooms. So that's been it for me. Walks in nature, tea, yoga, journaling, and then reading books that weren't designed for people my age. But I love them. Oh, I love YA fiction. You know, I'm definitely, you know, I was an English major, so definitely veer towards the literary fiction myself, but it's like, you need a palate cleanser, you know, in between those Mm -hmm. sort of more difficult concepts and YA is perfect for that. Have you seen the show on Netflix called Never Have I Ever? No, I haven't. Oh, you should look that up. If you're enjoying that book about the the Indian adolescent girls, I think Mindy Kaling was the producer or maybe also a writer on it, but it's hilarious. And they're, you know, 30 minutes, which is just like, you know, the little bite-sized hilarious episodes, but it's very snarky and, you know, set in high school. It's a high school girl. Really highly recommend it for like enjoyable, but also, you know, sort of talks about some deeper issues as well. Like her dad Mm -hmm. just died at the beginning of the show. And so she's kind of struggling with that and finding herself. I'm a big, big fan of any sort of coming of age angsty stuff. That's like totally my jam, you know? (laughs) All right. So let's wrap up with one last question. If there's One thing that you would want people with PCOS or fertility issues to take away from this episode, what would that be? Mm -hmm. I would have to say it's to remember that you are more than your diagnosis. That feels really, really important for a number of reasons. There are other things for you to learn about in the world. There are other 
types of accounts that you can follow on social media. You know, not everything has to be about fixing this. You're allowed to be everything else that you are as well. And when it comes to your own health, not everything is caused by your PCOS diagnosis. You still need to make sure that you're going to see your provider when you're having a new symptom or even an old symptom and make sure that they are ruling out other reasons for that. So just remember that you're so much more than just your diagnosis. Yeah, I really noticed when you were talking about finding a community of people, you know, you share commonalities with and connect with. It was outside of the diagnosis of PCOS. And, you know, it's important to find a community of people who understand what you're going through and can relate, but it's equally, if not more important to find communities and, you know, develop yourself outside of that diagnosis. I love that. That That's so well said, my friend. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Right. So you can find me on my website, which is livefertile.com, L-I-V-E-F-E-R-T-I-L-E.com. And then mostly you'll find me on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you search Live Fertile, you will find my channel there and you'll find tons of videos right there to support you along your journey. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I know our listeners will as well. For those of you who were tuning in in the middle, I've been speaking with Kendra Tolbert, who is a women's health dietitian and yoga teacher. Thank you, Kendra, for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode, and in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.